I speak to you in the name of the living God, blessed Trinity, and lover of your souls. Amen. Has anyone ever tested you? No? <laughs> now, I don't mean SATs or EKGs or even personality tests on Facebook. I mean, has anyone you care about ever tested your relationship? Relationship tests are a roundabout way of asking for what you need when you really aren't in touch with what you actually need. Testing is something people do out of emotional insecurity. Insecurity often built on a long history of bad relationships. People's traumatic pasts lead them to seek assurance of love and emotional validation from those they test. Sometimes the testing is intentional, and other times it's subconscious. Psychologists tell us while testing isn't inherently bad, it's not a very helpful means of communication. Testing another person can cause problems in a relationship. This is true for friendship as much as romance. As an example, has anyone you love ever said to you, oh, I don't need anything for my birthday? Mm-hmm. Right, we all know this is not true. And so the guessing game begins, the endless Google search of the 10 best gifts of the year, the eternal scroll through old texts, trying to recall what the person wishes they had. The one being tested by the birthday experiment can feel like they're in an old school TV game show like The Price is Right where you have to guess the true value of an item to win the true prize. I don't need anything, simply can't be true. We all need things. We need food, water, air, and shelter to survive. And in our relationships, we actually do need affirmation and care and birthday hugs. But those who have a harder time knowing what they need and when they need it, end up testing others to help themselves figure it out. And this leaves the person on the other side of the testing confused. God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. And it wasn't a spelling bee or a Bible quiz. It was a relationship test. So as I read today's text from Genesis 22, I wondered if God was maybe feeling a little insecure, a smidge afraid of rejection, a bit in need of some reassurance. Wonderings about God's insecurities may be, for some of us, a difficult concept to process. To some, even asking the question may sound like blasphemy. And you wouldn't really be wrong. <laughs> Sunday school classes on heresy will tell you that God does not change in any way. And therefore, God does not experience emotional change in any way. And we Christians think this about God because around the 4th century it became heretical to believe that God could suffer or change or feel things the way that we feel them. Insecurity is just too human an emotion for God. 
And while I am all for not being heretical, and I do think good old Bishop Nestorius's logic was a bit faulty, today old, today's Old Testament reading isn't about fourth century church heresies. It's about Abraham and his life. And Abraham knew nothing about all that. Abraham simply knew that the world was full of petulant gods who demanded sacrifice. Abraham knew that the gods were just as faulty as human beings and that this new one whom he'd just been getting to know was probably no different. And that's why just a few chapters prior to this one, Abraham was negotiating with God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God was negotiating back. In fact, all throughout the Old Testament, we find stories that reveal how often God changes. Moses argued with God, and God relents. God regrets his decision to make Saul king over Israel. God tells Jeremiah, I will reconsider my plans. And so on and so on. And today, an insecure God tests his relationship with his new human by demanding something impossible of him. No biggie. In the first millennium, gods did this sort of thing all the time. This way of seeing God as a person who is not unlike us is called anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism, it's a normal phenomenon in all primitive and ancient polytheistic religions, including these pre-Israelite stories. At this point in the Bible's history, we are pretty early on. We're in Genesis. God does not even have a name yet. There is no Israel. There are no chosen people. God has nothing but a string of poor relationships in his past, and he meets Abraham and decides it's worth trying this relationship thing again. And there are rich emotional, psychological, and spiritual gleanings to be found in stories like today's where God experiences the world as we do. As Christians, we know this. It's partly why the Gospels are so powerful. We know God understands our, our suffering because we saw Jesus suffer for us. But Judaism doesn't have stories of Jesus to conceptualize God's ability to relate to humanity. Judaism has anthropomorphism. So hold with me today this tension between Jewish thought and Christian heresy and wonder with me and Abraham why God might be testing him. And I propose, I've hinted at it already, it's because Abraham is the first human being God tries to trust in any meaningful way after the trauma of the Garden of Eden. God walked with Adam and Eve naked in the cool of the day until those two did the one thing God asked them not to do. God gave them everything, and they broke the one boundary God had made for himself. They stole from his favorite tree, and suddenly, God experiences his first loss of trust with humanity. And in the chapters of Genesis that follow, God's experience of humanity only gets worse so bad, in fact, that God erases all humankind from the face of the earth with a flood. God could not find a suitable partner. No trustworthy people. And then we get to Genesis 18, and we read that God approaches Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. God approaches Abraham. 
Under the trees, a mysterious trinity of men approach Abraham and say that God has chosen Abraham's offspring to be in relationship with God forever. God wanted a family with Abraham, a chosen people, and he offered Abraham a covenant. Now, the closest cultural example I think we have to a covenant like like Abraham's, and we still have today, is a marriage contract. So this was a serious proposal that God was making to Abraham, and Abraham accepts. And then this couple, they go through quite a bit together. The destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, difficulty with a foreign king, the birth of two children, and tension between Abraham's two wives. This brings us to today. And the passage in Genesis 22, which begins, and after these things, after all that early relationship history, all that potential trust being built, God tests Abraham. I think because God is still afraid to trust. God gave Abraham the old, oh honey, I don't need anything for my birthday. Except for maybe a burnt offering up on the mountain, something small. Just you and Isaac. Just you and Isaac. Now, you and I have a list of Bible um, stories, Bible verses, where God makes it explicit that God is not okay with child sacrifice. Leviticus, Ezekiel, Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, and yes, even at the very end of this chapter, we know, we know that Isaac will not be sacrificed. But there are no Hebrew scriptures written yet. There's nothing for Abraham to read and reassure himself. This moment is the precursor to understanding who God is and the writing down of all that history. This is the moment, pregnant with the origins of Israel. Will the marriage contract between God and Abraham pass the test? Will these two build a nation together? Or will the relationship fail before God and Abraham can create a family that will number more than the sands of the earth and the stars in the sky? We know God was testing Abraham with a request for a sacrifice, but Abraham did not know that, and that was not fair for anybody. The testing of a relationship produces a high-stakes emotional environment. The one testing is feeling insecure and unloved. The one being tested is feeling helpless and confused. And anyone caught in the middle, especially the children, worry they might just die under the pressure. Everyone is a victim when a relationship is being tested. And that's what we get in today's Old Testament reading, a really messed up relational snapshot for our Sunday school lesson. (laughs) So why is this story in here? Why is it in our Holy Scriptures? Well, we may ask this question if we come to the Bible for prescriptions rather than descriptions. For rules for living rather than examples for living? This story is not in the rule book for a healthy relationship. It's an origin story of the chosen people, and it aims to capture the moment that built Israel's history. We have to wonder within the story, will God find a companion in Abraham? And perhaps that question even allows us to wonder the same things for ourselves. 
to wonder if we will ever find the companionship we need. In the beginning, God created humankind and it was good until it wasn't. And God knows what that feels like. That's what this story shows us. God knows what that feels like. God comes to us in Genesis 22 as a battered lover, doing the only thing trauma has taught him to do, test anyone who draws near. And God finally admits this at the end of today's reading when his messenger cries out, don't hurt Isaac, don't lay a finger on that boy. I didn't mean it. Even though we commonly refer to this Bible passage as the sacrifice of Isaac, no child sacrifice was made that day. And in fact, the word sacrifice never actually shows up in the Hebrew text. Shocking. God asks Abraham to olah, which means ascend. And it was a word that could mean to go up and smoke. Or it could mean simply to offer up. The word is an image relaying release and surrender. And that's what I think God actually wanted from Abraham, surrender. Not human sacrifice, but God did not make that need clear. All God wanted was for someone to listen to his boundaries and stop crossing them. Someone who would respect him. Someone he could build a life of mutual surrender with. But rather than that, he asked for child sacrifice as a gift. This story shows us how messed up things can be at the beginning of a new relationship as people try to figure themselves out. But it also points to the beginning of what becomes a true and healthy and beautiful relationship. This terrible test didn't break God and Abraham apart. They both survived it, as did Isaac, this is the moment where God's perspective not only changes, but so does Abraham's. Abraham realizes there is a God who does not require the sacrifice of human beings. This God will provide the sacrifice for himself. This moment marks the beginning of a real relationship between God and a chosen people, one that requires both parties to grow and change together. And if we look over time, at the story of Israel and God, we see the ways in which God grows in trust and the people grow in their understanding of sacrifice. See, burnt offerings weren't something that Judaism came up with. These sacrifices, they predate Israel. They're found in the ritual texts from Ugarit and of the Hittites before the Bible stories we have were ever written. Burnt offerings were a popular way for first millennium cultures to feed the gods. The Israelites inherited this practice and had to shape their own rhetoric around it. And stories such as this one, where God tests Abraham with a com command to Olah, were stories used to set Israel apart from other cultures, to create narratives that showed how their God was going to be different from the other gods. This story is meant not to teach us a prescriptive way to live, but rather to tell us the story of the God of Israel, how that God became the God of Israel, and how the people of Israel became the chosen people of God. That relationship. And it all begins with God and Abraham finally learning to trust each other. 
And if we look at the arc of this ancient story of Israel alongside other ancient cultures, we see that while other nations' gods remain fickle and passive-aggressive and are perpetually testing humanity, the God of Israel changes over time, becomes less fickle and more compassionate. The God of Israel becomes a husband that an entire nation of people long to commit to. Despite all that unhealthy testing God put humanity through early on, God grew into someone Israel could be in relationship with. And the chosen people grew into someone who could be in relationship with God. That family tree was planted. And it's the one which you and I as followers of Jesus have been grafted into. So there is good news in this text of terror, good news about relationships. First, we see that even if there is unhealthy testing at the beginning of your relationship, two people can grow to trust one another. And second, the really good news is that God worked out all his unhealthy relationship tendencies a long time ago. In fact, by the 4th century, God is as impassable and immutable as we need him to be. There's nothing you can do to shake him anymore. He's not going anywhere, no matter what kind of drama you throw at him. See, when we combine Jewish anthropomorphism and Christian theology, we see that by the time Jesus comes around, God has stopped asking for others to keep sacrificing for him and instead has learned to sacrifice for others. And that means that God is ready to be in relationship with you. If you're looking. Abraham says he's a real catch. 